Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Today is Palm Sunday, and what I want to do for us today is I want us to look at a very important moment in the life of Jesus. I want us to see today who Jesus really is and why he actually came. Now, if you grew up in and around church, like, like myself, we already hear the words Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, and we're kind of like, yeah, I get it. I've heard the stories. I've, I know the stories. I hear what's going on. And, and so for a lot of us, we kind of hear and we go, yeah, I get it. I know. I've heard it all before. And we just kind of miss the significance of what Palm Sunday, what this whole week is really all about. You know, I think a lot of us, we hear it's Palm Sunday. We go, okay, I'm here next. What's coming up next? What's happening? We're just kind of maybe trying to check the boxes. It kind of reminds me of my middle son, Asher. Asher, he uh, kind of looks like me. So if you're like, who is this kid? Just look for one who looks like me and you'll be like, oh, I see him now. But Asher is my middle son. And, um, oftentimes we'll be talking to Asher and there's things that we want him to do or ways that he's supposed to behave or ways that he's supposed to act in public and all that. And he might've heard us share these things before or say, this is how you're supposed to act. This is what you're supposed to do. And oftentimes he'll look at me or he'll look at Jenny and goes, I know, I know, I know, I know. And he actually does this with his hands too. Like, I think he's just kind of brushing away what we have to say. And sometimes there's times where he's with his brothers. We're telling their brothers, you know, this is how you're all supposed to act. This is all how you're supposed to behave. And he'll often look at us and he goes, yeah, we know, we know, we know, we know. You know, he just kind of talks for everybody there. And here's the point. I think, for, and, and here's what happens. He'll say he knows something and then he acts a certain way and he either misbehaves or he gets something wrong or he does something to hurt himself. And I'm like, did you not hear? Like, we told you why. We told you the significance of what we are telling you. And I think the reality is when it comes to us on Palm Sunday, we can hear, oh man, we're going to share, we're going to talk about this. We go, yeah, we know, we know, we know, we know, but we miss the significance of who Jesus is and why he came. We miss the importance of it. We might, we might see something from our perspective, but we don't see the whole perspective of what's going on. In fact, it reminds me of an artist named Rex Whistler. Now, some of you are hearing that and you're like, Rex Hoosler? Like, who is this guy? Like, unless you're an art major, it paid off. You know who this guy is. But other than that, you're kind of like, who is this guy? But he was a British artist. And some of his paintings are even still in museums to this day. But he was a British artist who did a series of paintings. He was alive during World War II. In fact, he even died in World War II. But before he died in the war, he did this series of paintings that show how perspective really matters and how perspective can change everything. In fact, I want to show you just a couple of his paintings. Here's the first one. Kind of looks like maybe a, a British police officer. You know, he's got a little bit of that long mustache going on, you know, like, I don't know, maybe he looks annoyed on the job. But then the next picture looks like he kind of got a surprise birthday party, right? Like he's kind of like shocked, maybe see, see something. He's kind of like, what is happening? Maybe crime or something. But now when you put them side by side, it's the exact same picture, just turned upside down. You'll even notice like he kind of signed it on the bottom and then it's up there on the top. It's the exact same thing. You just turn it upside down. You get a different perspective. You see something different. In fact, here's another one. This guy looks like he's graduated and he's kind of angry about it too. You know, uh, he just kind of looks ticked, ticked off, annoyed. Maybe he should have gone for something else instead of whatever he majored in. But the next picture, look at that. It looks like a kid. And I was like, man, it looks like he found an ice cream cone or something. Like he's thinking about taking something, stealing it. I wish I was really better at impressions because I hear his voice in my head, but it won't come out right. So, 
But then here's, here they are side by side. We kind of look at it, but it all changes when you turn the picture upside down. The picture is the same, but it becomes different when you look at it from a different perspective, when you turn it upside down. Now, you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, all right, this is really cool, Nate, but what does any of this have to do with Palm Sunday? What does any of this have to do with Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because here's what we're, this is the reason why I'm sharing all of this with you today, because we're going to be looking at the exact same event, but we're going to be looking at it from two different perspectives. The way the crowd saw and expected of Jesus and what Jesus actually came to do. In fact, the title of today's message is called Having the Right Perspective. Having the Right Perspective. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 42 today. If you don't have a Bible, grab your smartphone, download the YouVersion Bible app. Once you've done that, you can go to the More tab, the Events tab. You'll see Awaken Church Live. You click on that, you'll be able to take notes there, follow along with the outline. I would even encourage you later this week as you go through groups, uh, you can use that to like write questions, things you want to talk about later. Um, just anything that stood out to you, you can use that. It's a very helpful tool, a resource for you all. So while you're settling in and turning there, I want to give you a little context of what's going on here in Luke. Because the, here in Luke, the verse that we're going to be looking at is known as the triumphal entry of Jesus. Jesus is entering Jerusalem at a time called Passover. And this is a very, very important moment in the Jewish faith. It's been an event that's been celebrated for hundreds and hundreds of years ever since the time of Moses. See, devout Jews would have traveled from all over the known world to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And if you don't know what Passover is, uh, basically, it's the Jewish people celebrating their freedom from slavery from the Egyptians. And I think some of us, we know how the story goes, but if you don't, in a nutshell, basically, it's uh, Moses comes to Pharaoh and he's like, hey, let my people go. And the Pharaoh's like, nah, I think we're good. I think I'm going to keep them in bondage and slavery. And so what God does is he sends 10 plagues. And the last one is death. And so God sends that one, but he tells Moses to tell the people, hey, take a lamb, grab that lamb, bring it into your home, slaughter the lamb, and then put the blood of that lamb over your doorpost. And so when that plague comes, it will pass over your house. And so the Jewish people do that. The 10th plague comes and the 10th plague again is death and it takes the firstborn of every household, but it passes over those that have the blood over the doorpost. So death literally passed over those houses. And so the Jewish people would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and Jerusalem, their population during non-Passover times would have been uh, about 50,000 people, but that number would have swelled to two to three times its normal population. Some historians even tell us that the population of Jerusalem during Passover season would have been anywhere from 110 to 120 to 150,000 people. Some people even say it's even more than that. So here's the idea. There are a lot of people in Jerusalem at this time. Now, the way I was thinking of it this week is like everybody going to Times Square to watch the end of one year and the beginning of another year. Like it's a lot of people in one area. And so Jesus is coming from the Mount of Olives. And again, this is the last week of his earthly ministry. There's been a lot of healings. There's been a lot of teachings. There's been a lot of miracles that have taken place. There's a lot of followers following Jesus. And here's all these people coming in. And Jesus is riding in and he's entering the city of Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. 
See, earlier in this chapter, Jesus sends his disciples to get a donkey. And I love this part of the story because Jesus basically sends his disciples to go commit grand theft to donkey. Like that's kind of what happens uh, because Jesus tells him like, hey, uh, there's going to be a donkey. I need you to grab this donkey. I need you to untie it. And when the owner says something to you, this is the response that you give him. He's going to be fine with it. And he's going to come bring it. Jesus knew where this donkey would be. Jesus knew all this. So he's not asking them to commit a sin. All right. But, but the reality is he knew all of this stuff. And so the disciples, they go and they start untying this donkey. And the owner's like, um, hey there, what you doing? Like, uh, you stealing my donkey? And they're like, oh man, it's cool. The Lord needs it. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, that's fine. And I love that because where does that actually happen in life? Like today, if I see you getting in your car and I grab your keys and I get in and I turn it on, like I'm about to drive off and you're like, whoa, what you doing, Nate? What what are you doing? I'm like, oh, it's cool, man. The Lord needs it. Like, are you going to be like, oh, cool. Here's a year's worth of gas too to go with it. I hope you do in Jesus name. All right. But, (laughs) but, but the reality is like, where does this happen anywhere else in life? Like it doesn't, life doesn't work that way. But what I love about that story, just real quick about all that, is that the disciples, they don't question Jesus. They don't even delay. They're immediately obedient to what the Lord tells them to do. As crazy as it is, they are obedient to what the Lord has called them to do. And so they go and they grab this donkey. They bring it to Jesus. And that's where we pick up our story in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 35. It says, and they brought it, speaking of the donkey, to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the coat, on, on the colt, They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. This isn't some ancient story to be read and go, oh, isn't this a nice story? You know, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Isn't it cool, Jesus being worshipped and praised? I mean, later we're going to find out that obviously there's palm branches they're waving and laying at the feet of the donkey. It's not like, and again, that's where we get Palm Sunday from, but it's not a cool story to go, oh man, isn't it so cool that Jesus is coming into this city on a donkey? It's just some ancient story. We go, yeah, 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 we know, we know, we know. But there are things from Luke's account about this triumphal entry that we've heard and that we read that force us to respond to who Jesus really is. Not from our perspective of who we think he is, but to respond to Jesus for who he really is. We need to have the right perspective as we go into Palm Sunday, as we go into this Easter week. And so how do we have the right perspective? Well, I see three things in the story that highlight us making sure that we have the right perspective this Palm Sunday. And the first is Jesus came not as a conquering king, but the saving king. He came not as a conquering king, but the saving king. We see Jesus riding into Jerusalem, not on a powerful war horse, but on a donkey. Now, donkeys in the Bible, they were symbols of service, humility, suffering, peace. So by Jesus riding a donkey, he was showing and symbolizing the arrival of peace. 
Jesus asked for a donkey because he knew that that animal would show the kingship of, of Jesus is not from man, but from God. A king would have ridden a horse when he was ready for war. A king riding a donkey would symbolize peace. I think we've all met people who seem to be one fry short of a Happy Meal, right? We've all met people where the lights are on, but nobody's home, and they kind of miss the symbolism. They miss the, 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 everything that's happening right in front of them. And that's kind of what's happening here. They're missing the people here at the triumphal of Jesus. They're missing the imagery. They're missing the point of what's happening here. Instead of fulfilling all of their expectations of what a coming king would look like and what a coming king would do, he's actually fulfilling prophecy spoken of him some 550 years before this event. In fact, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Verse 10, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. This king is not the kind of king they were looking for. Jesus came not in power as they imagined, but in peace as they needed. They couldn't fathom that they would have peace without first having peace in their governments. They anticipated that there would be this coming king, that there would be this Messiah, that there would be this one who would overthrow the Roman occupation and restore Israel as a nation. There was a lot of talk, a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors go, well, is Jesus really this king? Is he really this one that we've been talking about? Is he really the Messiah, this anointed one that we've all been waiting for? And on this day, as they see Jesus entering and approaching Jerusalem, they're like, yes, he is the one. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And they were celebrating because they thought Jesus was going to be this great general or political leader. That he was going to come in and kick out the Roman occupation. And he would have this rule and reign as a military ruler. They thought Jesus would be this revolutionary savior of the nation to bring freedom and hope. But Jesus didn't come as a temporary king or even a military or political king. Before he would rule their nation, and one day he will rule over everything, amen? He first came to be the king of their hearts. Jesus came first to be the king of our hearts. First came to be the king of, of our lives, of our souls, of our eternities. That's why Jesus came first, and the same is true today. The reality, the whole message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that Jesus is the king who's coming to save us and redeem us back to God. That's the mission of Jesus. That's why Jesus, that's what he came to proclaim. And that's completely upside down from what the people imagined and hoped that Jesus was coming for. Here's the second thing. They came with their agendas, but Jesus knows what they need. They came with their agendas, but Jesus knows what they need. Again, verse 35, it says, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on a colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So what we see here is that people are taking off these cloaks and they're throwing them, they're laying them on the ground in front of Jesus as he's riding in on this donkey. And they're doing that because they're saying, Jesus, you are too worthy. You are too worthy for your feet to even touch the ground. 
this week I was thinking this donkey is probably really young and Jesus is tall. And so, or at least I think he was tall. And so I was imagining that his feet would be like kind of touching the ground. And so they're laying these cloaks down saying, Jesus, we're preparing this ground. This is a sign of honor. You are too worthy for your feet to even touch the ground. They're giving Jesus this red carpet treatment. Now these cloaks that are talking about, they gave these people protection. It was also meant to cover them up. But it gave them protection. It gave them protection from being injured, from being hurt. You know, as they're walking in the wilderness, they might come up on some thorn bushes. They might hit some uh, bushes that have sticks coming out. And so they wear these cloaks to protect them, to make sure that they're not going to get hurt. They're not going to get harmed or anything like that. But they also wear for protection from the cold. They also wore these cloaks to cover themselves up, to cover their undergarments in perfections. See, people wore cloaks like we would wear coats or robes today. They often had one undergarment that was long and one cloak to cover this undergarment. Now, these undergarments, sometimes they were in rough shape because they didn't have 15 different undergarments, you know, in all kinds of colors. They, like we would do today, like for us, we have 15 different shirts, you know, 10 pairs of pants, eight pairs of shoes, some of you a little more than that, you know. So they're not like that. They don't have all this stuff. They often had one cloak and one undergarment. And that undergarment could have had holes in it, tears in it, stains in it. And so it's significant to me that they're taking off these cloaks and they're laying them at the feet of Jesus and they're having their undergarments exposed. They were willing to surrender themselves to Jesus by laying everything they have at his feet, leaving nothing hidden from Jesus. They weren't holding on to anything, but making Jesus the center of their worship. In fact, if you look in the middle of verse 37, it says, The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. All the gospels mention uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus. But John's give us another look. It it helps us see it from another perspective, another dimension to this. In fact, in John chapter 12, verse 13, we see what else is happening. It says that they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, of course, we know how the story goes. This wouldn't last very long. Because the same people who are here worshiping, praising Jesus, laying everything at the feet of Jesus would just in a few days be shouting, crucify him. But we see them laying everything they have at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. And I was thinking about that this week and I thought, man, we all wear cloaks to some degree. We all cover ourselves up from something. We all like to hide behind something. We wear cloaks of fear. We wear cloaks of um, pride. We wear cloaks of guilt. We wear uh, cloaks of power, of the need for approval. I think we could all go down the list and think of a lot of cloaks that we all like to put on and we wear. We all try to cover ourselves up or protect ourselves to some degree. And this week, the thing I was wrestling with and the thing I would encourage you that you're going to have to wrestle with today is, are we willing to surrender ourselves and lay our cloaks at the feet of Jesus and worship him? Are you willing to lay everything that you have at the feet of Jesus? The people, uh, they were throwing their cloaks outwardly. They were like, we worship you, Jesus. Here's everything we have. We're laying it. But he was looking at their hearts and he didn't see that in their hearts. He didn't see inwardly that they were worshiping him the right way for who he really is. Their picture was backwards. See, every cloak we wear separates us from God. 
So what is it that you're putting on that's keeping you from worshiping God? What are you holding on to that you just need to let go? The triumphal entry of Jesus on this Palm Sunday for us is when we throw down everything that we have, all of our cloaks before Jesus, the things that we wear to protect us, the, way, the things that we do to cover ourselves up, and we take everything off that's ruling and reigning in our life like the people did, and we worship Jesus. We say, Jesus, you can have everything that I own, and we worship him. So we really see two things happening here. People taking off their cloaks, worshiping him, praising Jesus, but, and throwing it on the ground. But then we see them taking these palm branches and cutting palm branches off. Again, we look at John's gospel. He tells us that. And they would have been waving these palm branches around, praising God, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, what you may or may not know about palm branches that we all long to lounge other when it comes to our beach vacations but this was actually a sign of rebellion against the Romans. See, to the Jewish nation, the palm branch was not only a sign of prosperity and blessing, but also one of victory. As people were waving these palm branches before Jesus and laying them at the feet of the donkey and shouting Hosanna, which means save us, the people, they wanted Jesus to rise up. They wanted Jesus to resist this Roman occupation and reestablish Israel as an independent nation. This palm branch was a political symbol for him, and it had a lot of meaning to him. It'd be like today. The American flag has a lot of meaning to us today. And so this was a deliberate political statement, and the rally cry is important to pay attention to, because they say in, here in uh, Luke, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And what they're doing is they're actually quoting this from Psalm 118, verse 26, and it's a psalm of David. And David, he's praying this, and he's like, God, save me from my enemies and all that. And and David actually says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so these people, the children of Israel, they're saying the same thing. They're like, save us from our enemies, these Roman occupiers. It's a beautiful thing that they're pulling from. Here in the Old Testament, it's it's not here by coincidence. Uh, It all has meaning. But did you see what happened here? Did you see what they did? David said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But these people on Palm Sunday added their own agenda to it. They added their own little twist, their own little phrase. It says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, why did they do that? I believe it's because they wanted political power. That's what they saw when they looked at Jesus. That was the power they imagined. That's the king they wanted. Not blessed is he. Blessed is the king. They wanted a king that would make this grand triumphal entry riding into Jerusalem on a war horse to overthrow Rome. Again, they wanted one thing from Jesus. They saw something from Jesus, this picture of Jesus, but it wasn't turned the right way. It's not actually what Jesus came to do. Here's the third and final thought. And that is the people wanted a lion, but, uh, but he came as a lamb. The people wanted a lion, but he came as a lamb. See, as Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem, it's the start of Passover week. And of course, we've come to call it Palm Sunday, but that's not actually what it was always called. It was actually called Lamb Selection Day. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, again, since the time of Moses, families would have chosen a lamb and they would offer that lamb as a sacrifice during Passover time. And so there was even a special gate that the priests had carved out in the walls of Jerusalem for people to bring their sheep through to get slaughtered and sacrificed for the sins. And that gate was called the sheep gate. 
Now, some believe that Jesus actually entered the city, not through the main gates, like a conquering king would come in and, and, and enter those gates, but he came through the sheep gate, this side gate, because it was close to the temple. And again, because it's Passover, you got to think there's a lot of people at this gate. There's a lot of things going on in this gate. It would have been very busy. And here's what's cool to me about this idea that Jesus could have come through the sheep gate. That the perfect lamb of God had been selected by God on lamb selection day. God said, this is my son whom I love. My perfect atoning sacrifice for your sin. This is the end of the old way. This is my new covenant. My lamb has been chosen. But the people didn't want a lamb. They wanted a lion. They wanted someone to come in and take over the Roman government. And again, they're singing, they're praising, they're worshiping God, but I believe this was an act of rebellion too. Why? Because this was almost a guaranteed way for them to get the attention of the Roman officials to come, beat them, arrest them to, to, for declaring another king. But then look at what happens in verse 39. It says, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, they're like, hey, Jesus, tell them they're wrong. Tell them to stop. They had a lot of reasons why they wanted Jesus to do this. They were fearful of these Roman occupiers. But then look at what Jesus said in verse 40. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus was like, yeah, sure, I could say, shh, shh, quiet down, everybody. But if I did that, all of creation, all of this world can't help but worship who I am and declare who I am. See, as beautiful as it is, as these people, they're worshiping Jesus, even though it was a little misguided, like my worship can be at times and your worship can be at times, even though their worship was a little misguided, they're worshiping Jesus and they're declaring that he is worthy. But I believe Jesus could see right through their worship, right to how he actually saw, how they saw things. Because right after all the singing, after all this dancing, and after all this praising, look at what happens in verse 41. It says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day, Lamb Selection Day, the things that make for peace, basically who I am, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus weeps. Again, this isn't the only time we see Jesus weep. We read that Jesus wept at the uh, death of his friend Lazarus, but this word wept can be translated to mean This guttural sobbing. Here's what we would say today. Jesus was ugly crying. That's that's what we would say. That's the current translation of that. But he has this mourning, this crying, this weeping, like someone at the death of a loved one. That's what's happening here. That's how Jesus is crying. Jesus is looking at Jerusalem and he's weeping over it. Here's a city that he loves. Here are people that he loves. And his heart is breaking and melting at the side of them. What's interesting to me about this detail and and what we see here is thunder. It it doesn't rumble. Lightning doesn't flash in divine curses. We don't even see the earthquake in destruction as his heart breaks. Here's what we see. Tears flowing down from Jesus' face because Jesus wishes Jerusalem knew what would settle their hearts and their minds. He wishes they knew what would heal their relationships and give them a settled confidence before God. 
Jesus is like, you see it, but you're missing it. Why? Because Jesus saw what they could not see. See, no matter where Jesus looked that day, he had a reason to weep. If he looked back, he saw a nation that had just wasted their time, wasted their opportunities. They were ignorant of the time of visitation. He looked within and he saw spiritual blindness in the hearts of people. They should have known who he was. They had God's word. They had people, messengers, prepare the way. They should have known who God was. Jesus was. And as they looked around, Jesus saw religious activity that accomplished very little. The temple had been turned into a den of thieves. And there were political leaders looking to kill him. And as Jesus looked ahead, he wept because he saw terrible things coming to a nation. The city was filled with celebrating with the festival, but the hearts of the people were full of sin and life's burdens. They wanted someone, they wanted power, but Jesus came to bring peace. They wanted someone, they wanted to be elevated, but Jesus came to be humiliated. They wanted a crown, but Jesus came to bear the cross. They wanted a lion, but he came as a lamb. It's as though their picture of Jesus needed to be turned around. They needed to have the right perspective of who Jesus truly was and what he came to do. And maybe the reality this Palm Sunday is that your perspective of Jesus needs to change too. Maybe for you, you just view Jesus as someone there who's just there to get you out of your jams. You know, life's dealt me a bad hand. Things have gone wrong. I'll just get a little Jesus in my life. And then when things get better and things are better, then I'm good to go. Maybe we view Jesus as, yeah, I'll commit my life to Jesus because that's my ticket out of hell. And so that's all we view Jesus as. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, Jesus, uh, he's just here to make me feel better about myself because, you know, he's a good teacher. He's got some good things to say. He shares some good things. And so, you know, Jesus is here to make me feel better about myself. Or maybe you just view Jesus as your little buddy. Yeah, I'll come to church when it's convenient, when I got nothing else going on. I'll read my Bible, you know, when there's nothing going on on social media. You just kind of view Jesus as our little buddy. And you're missing out on so much of what Jesus wants to do in your life, what he, what he can accomplish in and through you, what he can bring to you in your life. Jesus wants so much more for you than just those things. And this Palm Sunday, the most important thing that you can do is see Jesus as the king coming to save you from your sins and redeem you back to God. See, I believe Jesus would reveal himself today, not as distant or removed or aloof from us, but as the God who came and arrived and showed up. There'd be no more prophecies, no more dreams, no more angels. Jesus came to this earth. God came among us literally as the king to rule and reign but not in some militaristic, political way like the Jews thought, but to rule and reign in our hearts. Jesus came to rule where there was chaos in the human heart and bring peace. He came to rule and reign in our hearts where there was hatred and bring love. He came to rule and reign in our hearts where there was sin and bring redemption. He came to rule and reign in our hearts where there was despair and he came to bring hope. That's why Jesus came then, And that's why Jesus is still coming today. And so if you're a believer here today, celebrate the fact that Jesus forgives your sins. 
celebrate the fact that he came as the perfect lamb, as God's perfect lamb to come in and and pay for your sins, that his blood was shed to cover a multitude of your sins. In fact, even the Bible says that he has come in and the blood of Jesus has made us white as snow. So celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, that he's forgiven you and you have a hope. But if you don't know Jesus, here's what you need to know. He's come to redeem you and to forgive you of your sins. He's the hope that you need. He will fill the void in your life. See, Jesus isn't some bully who's going to browbeat you, say, let me in your life. No, you got to make that decision. Just like the crowds made that day. See, they made Jesus the focal point of their worship that day. And in that moment of their lives. And maybe today, that's just what you need to do. Everything you have, you just need to lay it all out there. The things that you're holding on to, you need to lay them at the feet of Jesus. And maybe today you just need to experience his grace. See, the truth of the gospel is that God stepped into our messy world to seek and save us and set us free. God didn't try to just love us from a distance. He didn't encourage us to clean ourselves up or, you know, try to do better or live a better life. But God sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do ourselves. Jesus came as he did on Lamb Selection Day so that you can come as you are and experience his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.